0: welcome everybody to connecting the universe author researcher mike ricksecker back with another class one of my favorite topics (laughs) it's time travel ah so what what can we do to make time travel actually work you know how would it actually look um again one of my favorite topics i love talking about this uh it's just fascinating the different rabbit holes we can go down with this and we are going to go down some different rabbit holes this evening so it's been about a year since we've covered this in class got some more information for you kind of taking it from some different perspectives here but first off do want to let uh those that are listening to the audio version of this later uh whether that's on iHeartRadio, radio spotify some of the syndicated shows like kpnl kgra on network um iTunes on Apple, a lot of different platforms that that's on. Um, please join us every Wednesday night, eight o'clock PM, usually because tonight we're doing at nine o'clock for our live show, uh, our live interactive class, I should say. ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Be a part of the conversation. Actually, get to to watch this with the uh, with the slideshow presentation and the videos and all that. Uh, ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Thirty day free trial, and you get access to course, the uh, the weekly interactive class. Tons of articles out there. You got all the travel blogs between Egypt, Ireland, and uh, the American Southwest. You get monthly Q&A videos, which guys, I need some questions for the monthly Q&A video. I know I'm a little bit behind on July. We can blame that one on COVID too. Uh, so send those on in. Of course, all the sneak peeks and behind the scenes videos of uh, all the different projects that are going on. Uh, yeah, the, the Mike's Morning Mug video blogs, all kinds of stuff. So coming out um and Sarah no we didn't move to nine I know I've had two of the last three weeks at nine o'clock and that's just because of some other uh live stream shows and podcasts those asked to be a part of um that that called for basically conflicted with our usual time so but for the month of August uh here on out uh we should be at eight o'clock for the rest of those so all right except for I think the very last uh, Wednesday in August, because then I'll be on the road heading toward, uh, Michigan Paracon. So, all right, let's go ahead and get into it. So we are talking time travel for this evening. And so I did post a time travel question, which many of you responded to. If you could time travel to any one specific point in time, when would it be and why? So, um, We'll start here with Tom McNicholas it says, May 1977, so I can make changes that I should have after high school. So, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people kind of, you know, feel that I'd go back in time and change something. The question then becomes, we're not really going to get into the Mandela effect um, for this class. I did cover that in the last time travel class that we had last year. Um, you know, People wonder, okay, if you do go back and you change something in the past, does that split off into some other you know, universe where, you know, some people remember things being one way and other people remember things being another way. So um you can go back and refer to last year's class uh for the Mandela Effect stuff, or I know we've covered Mandela Effect in a number of other classes as well. So um, I know we did a, a Beyond the Shadows show long ago on that. So, all right. Then we have, um some of these got grouped up together because they're, they're similar. Katie McVeigh says, although I don't consider myself religious, I'd want to travel back to the time of Jesus to bear witness to that pivotal time in world history and the influential man responsible for it. Jen also with a similar comment, I would want to travel to the time of Jesus and see what all the buzz was about and debunk some of it. Um, yeah, because we know over time with the way kind of religion has, um, you know, put all of their stuff on top of it, on top of it uh, you know, what was the truth and what was, um, you know, what what part is religion? and uh you know so that's actually one that i've always wanted to go back and check out too um i do recommend um you know, the information you could find on the telpio tomb uh from uh, simka simka yakobovic uh his documentaries on that extremely interesting so basically it's a tomb it's two different parts one is a full documentary and the other was um a follow up that was done on a television show uh, they had to wait some years for some legal procedures to get done. So some stuff was caught up in court uh, so they could finish the scientific testing. And basically it's one in, I can't remember how many millions, um, that it would not be the family of the Jesus from the Bible story. Really interesting stuff. Uh, but that's one I would want uh, to check out as well. So then we have uh, another set here, uh, Sarah Yusuf. Says, the future, I'd like to see how I turn out or maybe a point outside of time so I could see everything from an outside observer's perspective. And Tammy Hartkopf also chimes in with into the future, about a thousand years. I'd love to know if civilization continues to advance and what it will look like or if we destroy ourselves and have to start all over again. Um, yeah, so future, that's another one I think people really want to see what ends up happening uh, with with this mess that we've kind of created here are we able to redeem ourselves or does civilization fail and we have to start all over again and that's part of the cycle that we talk about sometimes when it comes to uh you know civilization that seems to rise and fall rise and fall and we've risen to huge heights here but with a lot of things that have been going on are we about to fall again so Uh, Going into the future, we could possibly see that. Uh, And then Victoria Brees, the golden age of Hollywood. So I could solve the murders of William Desmond Taylor in the Black Dahlia. Yeah, Um, Elizabeth Smart. You know, uh, that's that's one people really do want to know about. Golden Age of Hollywood is, uh, you know, really interesting. Uh, And, you know, even, you know, going back a little bit further as far as like, you know, famous deaths, you know, going back and, um, you know, figuring out who Jack the Ripper was, you know, things like that. Uh, it would be really interesting though, know, to, uh, to solve some of those old crimes. So, all right, those are our uh, comments there on the class qu- question for tonight. If there were a couple of others that came in over the last hour and a half, I, I will say that I would have missed those because um, I, I was on another show. So, okay, so as we go through this um, this idea of of time travel, And just really the idea of time in general. And I'm going to get kind of philosophical with you guys in a a number of areas tonight. But I want you to keep this one in mind. Okay, we talk about the river of time. That's kind of the way it's been described to us for many years, that we are traveling along the river of time. And those of you who have been uh, with the Connected Universe portal uh, for a while know my my stance on this with, with stacked time theory. But I will say this. This river of time that we're stuck in flows as a river, not because of the water, but because of the banks that are holding the water in place. In other words, if you didn't have those banks on the side of the river and the water was just allowed to spill out, it would just, it would be everywhere. And you could come and go within that as you please. But it's the banks holding the river together that makes it flow. So it's not the water, it's the banks. So um, one of the books I'm gonna be referencing a bit this evening. So many of you know that I uh, you know, really love the movie Somewhere in Time. It's one of my all-time favorite movies with uh, Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour. When you get the actual book itself, which has been renamed Somewhere in Time, but the original uh, title of the book was Bid Time Returns by Richard Matheson. The story is a little bit different than the movie itself, although Matheson wrote the screenplay for it. So they're both his stories using the same concept, of, but a bit different. If you actually read the book, Time Return, um, he references a, a few different books. He has uh, his character, Richard, uh, go to the library and uh, you know, he's reading through these different books. And one of them is this particular book right here. Man in Time by J.B. Priestley is an actual real book that he references. It, this is uh, first edition. I just picked this up not too long ago. Uh, Laurel printing from the 1960s. And when I, when I received this, I was like, this looks really familiar. It's actually part of a series, and I had one of them, um, Man in His Symbols by Carl Young. I'm not going to be referencing Man in His Symbols tonight, but I just found it ironic. Hey, I already have part of that series. So Man and Time. And for those of you wondering about the little bookmark in here that were in, that had been in Ireland, yeah, this is a uh, Irish bookmark. Got this at uh, Trinity College when we went to go see the uh, the Book of Kells in the Long Room um, when Jen and I went to go do that. So, um, so several of the he's uh, got a lot of interesting comments in here, a lot of commentary on. Um, on time, so I do want to read some of these different quotes uh, from him. So it's some of the things that I've kind of said in the past, but just phrased it a little bit differently. You know, he talks about you know time is a human construct to describe a reality. Um, but a great quote from him in this is we do not discover time, but bring it with us. Uh, he also says several pages uh, several pages later, everything is solidly there, whether we call it past, present, or future. We invent time to explain change in succession. So he's talking about how the you know time is this, like I said a moment ago, human construct to describe a reality. It's something we have put in place because you know we, well we need to keep track of the seasons. Um, we need to be able to uh, you know minutes, seconds, that sort of thing. Um, you know it helps us. You know, our, maybe our uh, you know employer wants us to get to work on time, that sort of thing. So you know there's there's a function to it, but it's an elusive uh, type of reality. Um, he also says uh, we are worse than those ancient peoples who believed that behind all change and succession was a special god more real than they were. At least they ended with a god who could be worshipped and might be placated, whereas we. Are trying to measure and analyze a ghost container, and I like that, especially since you know, uh, you know a, a lot of us are coming out of the paranormal and, and supernatural field. So he's he's calling time a ghost container, which uh, which I find really really uh, interesting. He does have a, a really good analogy in here as well. Um, so I I want to go ahead and and read this off to you, but uh, I have a few photos in here. For you, I'm probably going to be wondering at first, what in the world am I doing with? It's just a random road, okay. But this is a really interesting analogy. So he says, our spatial and temporal experiences simply refuse to be as widely separated as a scientific philosopher's space and time. Let us say I travel by car at 60 miles an hour across the five miles of the little puddlefield district. I see a church, two farms. Four bungalows in an inn successfully within five miles. I have a time relationship with this region. So just driving down the road, essentially, um, it takes time to go through, you know, the neighborhoods and see the buildings and all that. Then he says, on the next occasion, I fly over it in a jet plane on a clear day, look down and see all at once the church the two farms, the four bungalows, the inn, and what was in time is now in space. The difference is ordinary experience or the difference in ordinary experience is simply between two modes of travel. So in other words, it's taking you what we call time to drive through a specific area. But yet when you're going over the whole thing in a plane, You're seeing it all at once. And as we start to get into these different concepts about what time really is and how we might be able to uh, travel, we're gonna see different things. I kind of get into this a bit deeper later. Um, Like the Tesseract from Interstellar, where uh, Cooper was able to see every moment in time of his daughter's bedroom, where basically like looking from above, like we're seeing here on this map, of seeing the entire town that he had to drive through and take time to drive through before, we're seeing it all in one shot. And that's what was uh, depicted there uh, in Interstellar. And we're also gonna explore some of these uh, concepts in uh, Somewhere in Time as well. Uh, But we're gonna get back to that a little bit later. So what I do wanna get into first though, is um, some of the concepts that the ancients had about time. Uh, some of them are really, really kind of interesting, as you know, we start digging deeper into this sort of concept. So, where we're going to start is right here: the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Um, it's not really the Egyptian Book of the Dead; it's it's a it's a misnomer. That's what we've we've named it over time, but it's really the Book of Going Forth by Day. Um, and what this particular book is is actually um the papyrus of of annie or is it ani i guess it would be Annie the papyrus of ani. he was basically a royal scribe of the of divine offer so he was, a, he was a scribe to the royal court it dates to 1250 bc excuse me so this is the name that we've uh brought up before um whew, quite a while back and i do mention him actually in my book a walk in the shadows And that is the famous Egyptologist for the British Department of Egyptian and Assyrian Antiquities, uh, E.A. Wallace Budge. The reason why I'm talking about him is um, this is just kind of a fun story. Uh, He uh, discovered the papyrus uh, in Luxor being traded, traded in a legal antiquities market in 1888. Uh, the papyrus was originally found in the, in the tomb of Ani, which is why it's called the papyrus of Ani. Um, now, we, when I say that, uh, we don't know if he actually wrote it himself, Ani. We don't know if he even had it commissioned for himself, but it was found on his tomb, and he did happen to be a scribe. So there's a chance that he may have told other scribes, I want you to write this out, put it in my tomb, or he may have actually written it before he died. And had it put into us, so we we don't know, but um, with Budge, um, yeah, he he found it in this illegal, uh, market, and you know, he he of course wanted to to save it, so he purchased it as well as some other items. Yes, in in the illegal market, I understand that, but um, before he could go back and retrieve the objects, apparently he apparently bought several things, and he needed some mode of transportation to uh, to retrieve them. Uh, Police had arrested several of the dealers and actually sealed their houses so Budge could not get to these objects. According to Budge's autobiography, what he ended up doing was he distracted the guards by offering them a meal, and locals tunneled under the house's walls and retrieved the objects, including the papyrus. Uh, They stored them in several uh, tin boxes, and... uh, Budge smuggled them to the principal librarian at the British Museum. So it's kind of like this whole, it's almost like a little Indiana Jones story or whatever. How much of it is true, we don't know, but that's that's Budge's story. So it's just kind of a fun um, kind of rescue story for uh, what we now call the Book of the Dead. So why are we talking about the Egyptian Book of the Dead? Well, obviously there's gonna be something about time in there. Um, and so where we're actually at, in here and it's a it's a beautiful book actually Uh, you know you have fantastic you know artwork and freezes like that and where we're actually at is the chapter for not dying again which looks like this and actually I have a graphic that I can put up on the screen so I don't know why I'm not doing that so there it is Uh, that's at least one page of the chapter for not dying again so basically, Ani and Tutu are here uh, standing before Toth, who's sitting on a tomb. What's interesting, though, is Ani is not actually talking to Toth in the text. He's actually talking to Atom, which is the god or Netter who created the universe. And Ani, who is deceased in this uh, whole narrative, uh, asks, what will be the duration of my life? And Atom says, uh, you shall... Be for millions on millions of years, a lifetime of millions of years. I will dispatch the elders and destroy all that I have made. The earth shall return to the primordial water, to the surging flood, as in its original state. But I will remain with Osiris. I will transform myself into something else, namely a serpent, without men knowing or the gods seeing. So it's interesting because in the description here, he layers time together we've been talking about millions and millions of years a lifetime of millions of years so you know different time layers and during our little uh technical hiccup there uh sarah picked up on where where exactly i was going to go with this which is the uh the idea of the ouroboros so the snake eating its own tail. And this is the first time that we see that is actually on King Tut's shrine. It's the oldest known version that, that we have of it. We also see it there. And you guys saw this last week in um, in the Egypt class that we did. Uh, where we were previewing Stargates of Ancient Egypt tour. Where, and this is in the Valley of the Kings. And you're seeing the snake eating its own tail. And so that's the idea of this uh, this recycling and we see within this description here of the earth being returned to the beginning and uh atom is actually using the uh the iconography of the serpent within that so it's, it's interesting to see, okay, we're layering time. We're talking about a cycle of the earth going back to its original formation. And we're also going to use the imagery of the serpent here. So these are things that we've actually you know, been seeing and been talking about in previous classes. And now it's, again, kind of coming hmm. full circle. So, all right. So that's ancient Egypt. Well, what about... Ancient Greece. You know these guys; these philosophers talked about this stuff all the time. You had a culture where they would, you know, Aristotle, Socrates, Plato; those type of guys were always sitting around discussing these great, brilliant ideas. Right? They were actually. So we're actually going to start with one that you guys probably don't even know. His name is uh, Parmenides, but he was a he was a philosopher uh, back in ancient Greece, and uh, he had this idea. Uh when, this is basically what he said. Um uh, he denied the reality of sense evidence change and time. He declared that the world as revealed to the senses, the world in which change and time appear to exist, is an illusion. Behind this illusion in the realm of reality, there is no becoming, but only single and indivisible, indivisible being, changeless and timeless. Past and future are, are part of the illusion what really exists is a perpetual present. So we've talked illusion and things like that. A lot of times when we talk about simulated universe, which we're, we're not talking about uh, really at all tonight, but it's interesting that it goes down the idea of illusion, but he's referencing this in part to time and um, and basically talking about things that I've talked about many times before when we talk about stack time theory, which we eventually will get to uh, in that, you know, past and future are part of this illusion that everything is basically happening concurrently. So this is a Greek philosopher, uh, you know, discussing this and talking about this. So I mentioned Aristotle a moment ago. So what is the famous Aristotle have to say about this now? If your eyes haven't glazed over already from, you know, some of the Egypt stuff in uh, where we started here with with the Greeks and maybe the little hiccup that we had is going to help prevent the eyes glazing over. But Aristotle might do that to you, but it's still interesting. So what he says uh, is Aristotle is asked if time exists. And if it does, then what is its nature? So he says, one must suspect that either it does not exist at all or only barely and in an obscure way. For taking a closer look, uh, he points out that it is composed of the past, which has been and is not now, in the future, which is not going to be, but, or which is going to be, but is not yet. What is made up of things that do not exist could only have a dubious share of reality. What we know we have of time is now, as the end of the past and the beginning of the future. Now is kind of a link, which is kind of almost funny to think of. You have now this moment. So on the on the uh, show that I was on earlier this evening, we we actually briefly brought up space balls when we did talk a little bit about time travel and all that. And, you know, the whole instant cassettes, so what are we looking at? We're looking at now, you know, what happened before that was then, Yeah, you know, stuff like that. So he's actually describing that right there. Uh, but now is a link between past and future. He has more. So he says the recognition of time involves a perception of before and after in motion and a numbering process based on this before and after. Without some mind or soul to number it, there can be no time. As the movement of the heavenly bodies provides the numbers of time, Aristotle concludes that if there were more heavens than one, the movement of any of them equally would be time. So that there would be many times at the same time. So, okay, wrap your head around that. There would be many times at the same times. And it's almost as if he's talking about either multiple dimensions or uh, multiple universes, which, um, and, and we've talked about, you know, both here uh, within the class. So he doesn't really flesh it out into uh, that grade of detail here, but there's kind of an illusion toward, uh, you know, multiple realities here. So is it, you know, and how many would that be? He doesn't really get into that, but, um, but the idea that there are many times at the same time is, is really quite fascinating. And that's coming out of, you know, not our science fiction, it's coming out of our Greek philosophers. So you guys have some comments down here. So yeah, Sarah saying, I wonder if we'll get a visit from the time variant authority like on Loki, you know, um, we have an, an, I guess maybe enough of our science fiction kind of throwing that out there that there are, um, or, or even like uh, the movie Predestination, there's a temporal agent that's kind of trying to keep all these different things in check. Uh, and, and Loki does that as well. So is there something trying to govern that? Because if we do have time travelers in the future and they're coming back and making changes, that could get like really ugly really quick. Um, or, you know, like, you know, we talked about at the very beginning with Tom's comment about, you know, wanting to go back and change something. And, you know, we mentioned the Mandela effect. You know, do do we have a lot of that going on? Do we have all these, you know, different splits and all these different effects going on? Maybe. So, all right. So one more on the uh, ancient cultures. That's the Australian uh, Aborigines, which we've never really talked about here uh, in class before. We've mentioned Australia before and some different things down there, but we've never talked about this particular culture. And what they have is what they call a dream time, or uh, older um, uh, researchers have called it the great time. But basically, the dream time is the foundation of Aboriginal religion and culture. It's one of the oldest un- uninterrupted practice religions in the world, dating back some 65,000 years. So this has been, their their ideas and concepts have been around a long, long time. So it is the story of events that have happened, how the universe came to be, how human beings were created, and how their creator intended for humans to function within the world as they knew it. Aboriginal people understood dream time as a beginning that never ended. They held the belief that the dream time is a period on a continuum of past, present, and future. So that sounds pretty familiar, a continuum of past, present, future. Hmm, Keep that in mind so um, this is from uh, this comment here is from AP Elkin who uh, some years back did a lot of research had uh, uh, had written some books on the uh, on dream time and the uh, Aboriginal religion what he says is every person has a soul or a spirit that exists eternally and the life of these spirits is cyclic they pre-existed usually in definite sites in the country of the group, then incarnated through the mother, and they enter profane life, passing time. At death, they return to their spirit home. So almost kind of like the idea of reincarnation. But he continues, And these dwelling places exist not only in a sacred world, but in a sacred time, the great time, or as we've been calling it, the dream time. A time that is qual qualitatively quite different from profane or passing time it is all at once instead of one thing after another past and present and future merging and becoming one the eternal instant so we're seeing you know a, a fair number of different concepts about time in our ancient culture but in some ways they all have, seem to have this similar theme. You know, there are cycles involved here. Uh, There is an eternal time and time not really existing. All, you know, time all being at the same time, all concurrent. So those are are ancient cultures. How about, all right, here we go. Albert Einstein. So we'll get to the quote here in just a second. Um, But we're going to be talking about Albert Einstein's theory of relativity. Uh, some of his different concepts within here, uh, specifically how time is woven together with three dimensions of space, forming a sort of bendy four dimensional space time continuum, a block of universe, so to speak, so to speak, encompassing the entire past, present and future. And this is where the quote comes in. Einstein wrote 1955, just weeks before his death. The distinction between past, present and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. So he believed that, again, we talked about illusion earlier. Remember, we we used that word. You heard it. (laughs) And here's Einstein again. How many thousands of years after those philosophers talking about illusion? It's right there. So let's take a look at where this comes into play in some of his thought experiments So those that have been uh, with us a while uh, have seen this before, but I haven't shown it for a while. So, and this is where we're getting to stack time theory. Uh, You guys know I love to talk about this. So, and when I was originally putting my thoughts together, um, I hadn't, I I, I didn't know that Einstein already had similar concepts. When he put together his whole idea of the space-time continuum, I'm just like, Doing my own thought experiments and writing stuff down. And then when I finally decided to do some research into it, like, okay, I have these ideas. Is there something to that? Oh, boom, there's Einstein. So, with stack time theory, we're talking about a, for me, I view it as a stack of photographs. So, I have a stack of photographs here. And for some reason, we don't know what the catalyst is. Okay, just say, you know, every moment as I'm in this spot that I'm at, okay, has happened, is happening, and, and will happen. All those moments are happening concurrently, and they're all stacked up like that every single moment. And we don't know what the catalyst is, but every once in a while, two of those moments will resonate at the same frequency. And I'll just pull a couple out here. And they resonate a little bit at the same frequency, and they blend into each other And we get a glimpse of some things. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. Einstein had the same idea. He didn't go so far as to talk about moments in time bleeding into each other, but he did go down the whole route of stacking up photos. And here's an example of a couple of dice falling and taking every uh, moment that those dice are falling, taking a photograph of it, and stacking it on top of each other. And you end up with this strange, what they were kind of calling a um, a block universe where you see this block and you see these lines of the dice kind of falling. And that is every moment that has happened, is happening and will happen with those dice uh, inside that space-time continuum. But again, I take it a little bit further in that, if you have two of those moments resonating at the same frequency and they blend into each other, is that why we're getting some of these uh, sightings of ghosts, uh, apparitions, shadow people, extraterrestrials? Are they not necessarily a ghost, you know, spirit of a, of a human being? Um, Are they not necessarily what we're calling like an interdimensional being? in some ways it kind of would be interdimensional. Um, but you know maybe some of these ets that we're seeing are you know this will lead over from another point in time and not necessarily within our own time it's kind of like something out of the others that's kind of the biggest pop culture reference that uh, that we have with that where sometimes when you're looking at a ghost or an apparition they turn and look at you as if you are the ghost That's a reference to the others. So uh, Mary Marshall in the Shadow Dimension docuseries has a great quote. She says, we are starting to learn that both the past and the future influence the present. It starts to create a picture for us in that we may be experiencing ourselves. And so uh, there's some interesting examples of this over the course of uh, time, which, you know, how relative is time at this point. So there's the uh, Versailles time slip. This was, I want to say like 120 years ago now, something like that. But basically, you had um, two middle-aged school teachers that were walking through Versailles. They were just on vacation, checking it out. Um, They were from England. And uh, as they were walking through the grounds, all of a sudden things started to change, where uh, they started to see people from, um, you know, from the time of – you know, Marie Antoinette, uh, that just you know, they're wearing those sorts of clothing. You had a guy that seemed to be uh suffering from smallpox laying out on on the steps of one of the buildings. Uh there was a woman there actually uh painting a painting of Marie Antoinette, and there was a plow uh within the grounds itself that apparently there hadn't been a plow there for a couple hundred years. And then all of a sudden it started to dissipate away and they were back in their own modern time. Some sort of interesting time slip. And those people that were within that time slip did acknowledge their presence there. Kind of a more modern example of this um, that we see not necessarily in our pop culture, but those who are familiar with, well, sort of in our pop culture because it does reference The Conjuring. But you know, those that are familiar with Andrea Perrin and The Conjuring House, we know that the... Uh, the real house itself and the real story uh is far from what they showed in the movie but one of the most significant things that happened there and actually andrea does say it is the most significant thing that happened there uh what or the most fascinating thing is what she says and we do talk about this in uh the shadow dimension but uh basically what happened was uh you know her mother one evening, and Andrea was was present for this. Uh, basically, looked from the parlor into the dining room, and suddenly, there was another family that was there. There were uh, there was a woman that was cooking uh, over the over a fire in the fireplace, which at that point in time, the fireplace wasn't even open, hadn't been used in like a hundred years. There were a couple of children running around, and then there were a couple of men sitting on. At, at a table, which was a different table than what they had in the room at the time. They were sitting at a table. that had pewter tankards and they turned and looked at Andrea's mother and the one gentleman says the other, well, will you look at that? So again, they're seeing Andrea's mother as the ghost where Carolyn's looking at them that they're the ghost. So past looking at the, into the future and future looking into the past. Very, very interesting indeed, of course. And then there's an interesting story that... Um, that was related to me uh, last, I think it was last November now. And I talked about this in the uh, doppelganger uh, effect class that we had uh, just before the Ireland trip in which a young man, when he was a kid, walks into the kitchen of his house and near the kitchen table, he sees this tall, dark, shadowy figure, you know, hooded shadow person, scared to death, runs out of the room. Years later... He's standing in the kitchen, making a sandwich at the kitchen table. He's wearing a hoodie. And all of a sudden in the doorway, he sees this short, shadow person walk in, stop and then phew, run back out. And it dawns on him that was me all those years ago. So in both cases he saw himself as a shadow person. You know that was apparently all that it could, you know, form up at that time this sort of time slip that happened. And I think that's what a lot of the, the doppelganger stories are. You know, we've, we talk about Goethe, uh in that particular class and everything. I think so. that's what a lot of them are. Okay. So gotten to this point of talking about a lot of different concepts of time. Of course, the question becomes, how can we ourselves actually move between these different moments in time? Um, Let's see here. Uh, Just take a look at your questions here. Uh, Sarah asking, did Einstein believe it an illusion due to the proving that time and space was warpable? Well, He and Rosen worked on that idea later on. So his theory of relativity came before the idea of the Einstein-Rosen bridge. But you can see kind of the precursors to that in the idea of the um, bending space and time to create that wormhole. Uh, Jen is asking, like deja vu. Yep, like deja vu. And then let's see, Tom. Maybe time is at a point, like the pyramids. Past goes in one direction, and future goes in the reverse, and we meet at the top or the point. Um, we'll see. That's kind of like. Okay, I've been showing a lot of the uh, of the Ouroboros. Okay, and when my book connect the connecting universe book comes out, I'm going taking the Ouroboros and going a little bit deeper and relating it to what we have um, discovered here in Antarctica with the Anita project and the Ice Cube project, where they've discovered some evidence. And there's actually a paper that's been published on this uh, peer reviewed, uh, published scientific paper of a um, parallel universe running in reverse time. So that's, yeah, that, that's certainly related, Tom. Okay. So how can we move between moments in time? Well, real quick, let's do a dimensional primer. I know some of you guys have seen this before. So um, we have the point that would actually be dimension zero. The line is our first dimension. A plane, what you see there is a square, you know, kind of think of that like a piece of paper. Um, that would be 2D, two-dimensional. And then, um, you know, we have a 3D block there. So that's, you know, three three dimensions so any sort of um you know object like that that's third dimension the observer is observing from the next dimension up so we as ourselves our experience is from the fourth dimension which we call time um we we've not really defined it as anything else other than we're, we live in the dimension of time so therefore we can uh appropriately see all those other things uh Below us, 3D objects, uh, 2D plane, a line, a point. Um, we can't see above us. So Michio Kaku, on the uh, Shadow Person episode that uh, that it did with Ancient Aliens, we get into talking about dimensions. And um, I, I, will admit, I love Michio Kaku. I love his research. The way he presents it is in a very, very fun way. Um, I'd love to actually meet him someday. I did not meet him for uh, filming Ancient Aliens, but I love that our conversation overlapped. We both talked about dimensions. That was something I really wanted with that show and it happened. Uh, but he has a great analogy uh, that he talks about in that show and he act, and he uses the same analogy in his his books as well. That's the fish in the pond. So Dimitri Okokov is a uh, you know, fantastic physicist, but he says, think of fish living in a pond. The pond is two-dimensional. The fish are stuck uh, in the two-dimensional world, and they cannot visualize a third dimension. But you could lift one of these fishes into the third dimension, and they'd be shocked to realize there's a whole universe beyond their pond. Some physicists believe we are the fish. We spend all of our life in a three-dimensional pond thinking that's all there is, when right above us, there could be higher dimensions hyper, hyperspatial dimensions up to 11. And, um, and in this photo here, you have interdimensional beings that are playing with the fish. So, but that's kind of, that's really the, uh, the, the idea here, you know, you have these beings that the fish, you know, it, it's not part of their environment. This is from a world beyond, um, their whole world is is that pond. They have no idea of uh, beyond the pond. You have the, the stone pathway there, you have the building, you have those those trees, the stone block, um, the patio. All of those things, are they are completely oblivious to it. They have no idea it's even there. When you pull them out, yeah, they would be absolutely shocked to see that there is much more of the universe that is there. And probably also have a hard time breathing. Um, so again, we live in the fourth dimension, which we call time above time. Okay. The fifth dimension, what does the fifth dimension look like? Well, we've kind of gotten heavy handed in our idea of what the fifth dimension would, would look like. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't actually even think to, to pop up this slide here, but, um, you know, it's. We've put together this idea of a tesseract. I'm not co- talking about the, the Marvel magic cube. That's just, um, that's just fantasy. And they use it as like a portal sort of a thing. So um, a lot of times when you see an illustration of a tesseract, you see a uh, a 3d block, a cube, and they basically extend out the sides. And it's, it's almost like another cube on top of a cube because our minds, since we're not in, you know, a fifth dimensional space, can really only perceive the three dimensional objects. You know, again, from the fourth dimension time, we can only see what's below us. So all our minds can come up with is a 3D object on top of a already existing 3D object. So it's really heavy handed. Um, We talked earlier about the movie Interstellar and the, the Tesseract that they put together for that. Uh, where you have all these moments of time of a little girl's bedroom. Um, So you see, you know, all these basically like blocks and then these strings kind of connecting them all, um, which is interesting. And then here's like a a single one, you know, looking down into her room. It kind of almost, when when you look at this, it almost kind of takes us back to our stack of photos that you have all of these moments in time stacked on top of each other, which, you know, they couldn't really, it would look really weird for the movie and having him fly around in that. So this is what they ended up doing. And, you know, it worked for their storytelling purposes, Um, but that's still kind of the, the concept. So this idea of seeing every single moment in time, that stack of photos, you know, at a particular location, is actually being within the fifth dimension, looking at the fourth dimension time and seeing it all played out like that. So then it comes back to, you know, I have my stack of photos, okay. How do I move between, when we talked about those two moments in time resonated the same frequency and they're bleeding over into each other, we don't know what that catalyst is. Why does that suddenly happen? What is there something in the environment that changed? Um, you know, we're, we're talking frequency resonance vibration. Okay, fine. What is the frequency that that happens? Can we, you know, fine tune it, you know, to make that happen and just and, and go there? Um, of course, I think what would be interesting for that is if you had those two moments, you would almost have to make each side tune into the right frequency, or could you sit here? in this particular one and keep tuning it tuning it tuning it, until you found something and it made it bleed over we don't know what that catalyst is but i think there are some ideas that we can work with so I mentioned way back at the beginning that this book here man in time was uh you know had some influence in richard matheson's story for somewhere in time for Uh, the movie and then the book Bid time Return. So let's take a look at Somewhere in Time. If it'll pop up here. Here we go. So the movie Somewhere in Time, you guys uh, again know that this is like one of my favorite all-time movies basically because of that, that concept of what he ends up doing to get back there. He basically wills his consciousness into another point in time. It also kind of helps that, um, Jane Seymour is very attractive in this movie and there are moments that Christopher Reeve, like when he's first walking down to her, I'm looking at it and I'm like, Oh my God, that almost, in some ways looks like me. It's kind of surreal. Some, some of those moments I'm like, how, how did that happen? When did I, when did I film that and why didn't I not get paid? Of course, when this was filmed in 1979 and debuted in 1980, I would have been like five and six years old. So, you know, there's that. Um, but in any case, and, and you see here, um, we're not going to talk about bootstrap paradoxes uh, in this particular class on time. But you see here, she's looking at the the pocket watch, which is a uh, it, it, it's a paradoxical uh, object because there's no origin for it. Uh, her older self gives it to him. He goes back in time and he ends up giving it to her. Uh, when she's younger, and, and just keeps going through that that cycle like that, but um, basically what he figured out to get back in time was to will his consciousness from where he was in 1982 to 1912, and he basically lays there in bed. He's got like he's got a, a audio recorder going or a, a tape recorder going where he's playing himself sublimable. Messages uh he has changed out his clothing to look like it's 1912. Uh he moved all the, you know, modern accoutrements and furniture and everything out of the room. Somehow it all fit into the closet in the room. <laughs> um you know, to basically try to trick his mind into believing that he was no longer in the present that he was actually in 1912. So he willed his consciousness into that time. So when it comes to real time travel, I believe that it's going to be more of that than something like a flux capacitor capacitor, in a DeLorean. Now, a lot of physicists will say, well, you know, when you get near a black hole, then space and time will bend. Okay, great. Um, I don't think we're going near a black hole anytime soon to kind of play around with that idea. Um, others will say you'll you know, you need massive and massive amounts of energy, you know, to make something like that happen. So first we need to be able to, you know, harness, you know, wh- what kind of energy? We have all kinds of different, you know, very energetic things around here. Um, all kinds of generators and power plants, um, you know, uh, nuclear you know power, all of this stuff and you're saying none of that is powerful do, do we have to harness the do we have to go to the sun and use that as our as our power source you know what what type of energy are we talking about here to make that happen but again we have seen these moments that kind of just bleed into each other for a brief moment we don't know what that catalyst is but i think the idea that's presented here is more of what we will actually see play out that it will actually be more of willing the consciousness or finding that that vibration of um you know of that particular moment in time to be able to send something back or forward in time uh you know people talk about like some of these different ufos that we see may actually be you know some sort of of time machine and you know, they very well may be. And sometimes we just see them for a glimpse. They're very, they're very quick and they're very fleeting. Um, you know, is have they figured out how to tune into that resonance? You know, just almost you know, maybe they're they're switching a dial somewhere to make that happen. Um, you know, is it a you know, is it like astral projection? You know, you know, people you know, meditate and they get into such a deep meditative state that their astral body comes out of uh, out of their physical body and they're able to walk around. Are we able to do something like that with time? That not just, you know, projecting the body out to walk around in this time frame, in this moment of time, but to actually go to other time frames as well. So I think it's uh, certainly something... Uh, worth exploring here. I think that's more of what our real time travel, uh, is going to be. So, see what you guys have for, uh, questions and, uh, comments here. Yeah, sorry. He took advantage of the, uh, connected universe. There you go. And, um, so would everything technically be stacked as long as it does not occupy the spatial dimension? Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily um, occupying the spatial dimension anyway. Um, You know, it's, when you're looking at the, uh, let me bring it back up here. When you're actually looking at the stack like that, um, again, you're not really talking space so much at that moment. Okay, so like um, Interstellar used Gravity that I think that was probably the, the best concept that they could come up with for the way they moved through uh time, like or not really even move through time to communicate through time, they used gravity because we probably couldn't relate to uh, any other type of fantastical concept that they could come up with. Um the fact that we would be uh, looking at it from another dimension, uh, there are ideas and concepts within there that we're we don't we're not even familiar with right now Um, so that's why it blows my mind so much right now when you have so many people talking about you know moving up into you know 5d space and and all that on the um on the consciousness side and it's like do you you really even understand what that concept is moving up to 5d that if you are serious about what you're talking about moving up to, to 5d then time would essentially stop for you and you could pick where you want to go within time so <laughs> um, so I don't think we quite really understand what those types of concepts truly are you know we're trying to with our you know with our fourth dimensional mind trying to you know perceive what exactly that is and it's just you know I even think this is very rudimentary um, to all of that, but I think it's kind of scratching the surface here. And at some point, maybe we'll understand. All right, everybody, I think that is going to do it for this evening. I want to thank you for joining me tonight to uh, talk about time-in-time travel. Again, sorry for the little hiccup there in the middle. Uh, Technical difficulties do happen. For those listening to the audio version uh, of this podcast or uh, this podcast, listening to the podcast version of it later of this class, please join us every Wednesday night, eight o'clock p.m. Eastern time, connected universe portal.com. And um, of course, throw out there real quick, join us next year, uh, February 7th through the 19th for Stargates of Ancient Egypt. Uh, We are gonna start pushing that a little bit more here now that uh, we've come out on the other side of of Ireland. Now that's the next biggest, greatest uh, tour that we have going on. So in that one, you will actually see um, you know, references to the way time works, references to stargates and portals. And it's just, all of that is extremely fascinating. Right, everybody have a great night till next time. If time really exists, really appropriate for this show. <laughs>